Hello and welcome to Home to Her, the podcast that's dedicated to reclaiming the lost and stolen wisdom of the sacred feminine. I'm your host, Liz Kelly, and on each episode, we explore her stories and myths, her spiritual principles, and most importantly, what this wisdom has to offer us right now. Thanks for being here. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's show. So what does a relationship with the sacred feminine look like in the age of social media? This is a question I've asked myself a lot. In addition to this podcast, I host a Facebook group also called Home to Her, where just like this podcast, I share information about the history of the sacred feminine and my lived experience of her, and I hold space for others to do the same. I love curating this group and hosting this group, but sometimes I do wonder whether platforms like Facebook and Instagram are really the right space to connect with her wisdom. Can these shorter bite-sized bits of information about the sacred feminine be enough to light a path back to all that she offers? Well, that said, and even despite my doubts, I really can't deny that social media has greatly enriched my own learning and experience of the sacred feminine. And my guest today is one of those women who not only seems to have figured out how to use social media effectively to both elevate and celebrate the feminine, but she's also helped me grow and learn. So I'm really glad to welcome her to the show. Iris Eve is a mother, musician, writer, fiber artist, and the founder and curator of She on the Tip of Her Tongue a popular social media site and platform that is devoted to amplifying the voices and art of women. Iris spent over a decade performing at numerous events and festivals, both solo and as the front woman of a band. She's recorded three albums and is currently working on a book of poetry in her next studio album. Her current project, She, on the tip of her tongue, or just She for short, started in 2009 as an annual women's performance art event that ran for six years on the big island of Hawaii. While the live performance events are currently on hold, Iris is now operating She primarily as a social media page. And if that name, She, on the tip of her tongue sounds familiar to you, there's a good reason. More than 77,000 people follow the Facebook page where Iris carefully curates words and images that highlight the art, music, and the power of the feminine. In addition to she, Iris has also launched a new project called Cunning and Keening, which combines her music, writing, art, and tarot, which I can't wait to hear a little bit more about. Iris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. That was a really beautiful introduction. (laughs) I love to just reflect people and their magic back to them. That's like one of my favorite things to do about this on this show. (laughs) Yeah, well, wow. (laughs) It was moving. Thank you. (laughs) So, you know, one of the places I like to start, and it's purely just curiosity for me, I'm always interested how people got on the path of the sacred feminine, how they found it. And um, I'm often curious if, if, well, I guess even to back up before that, you know, to know what your what your background was as a child, you know, were you was this something that you were exposed to? Did you have a spiritual or religious background as a child? And, and was there any aspect of the feminine that was present for you? 
Well, you know, that's a really interesting question. Um, I wasn't raised with any religion or formal spirituality in my household. Um, we celebrated Christmas for Santa Claus, and we <laughs> celebrated, you know, Easter for the Easter Bunny. We participated in um, the consumerist life of North Americans. That's what we did. And um, so there wasn't really any recognition of divinity in my household. Uh, there was very casual, uh, rare mentions of Christianity type things. You know, I mean, I was told about Christmas being Jesus's birthday, but we didn't go to church. We didn't have a, a religious uh, element to our family life. So very secular. Uh, you know, I was in public school. Like we, we learned about the world as it is um science you know <laughs> but i think in general just growing up um i learned to read very young i learned to read at the age of three and so i have been yeah, it's not lost on me that i've been taking in other people's words my whole life and that that has affected my framework and um so i would say that on a subconscious level i just took in you know the the world as it is, rather than how someone has taught me to perceive it or um, how a community celebrates it together. And to me, that that's, you know, um, a patriarchal culture. All the elements of the Abrahamic religions are what were dominant. Um, when I thought about spirituality, it was going to be a reference to one of those, uh, those three things or, or atheism, you know, I was very lost as a child in terms of spirituality. I just moved forward with life. But, um, you know, I was very always drawn to powerful women, you know, from Shira when I was like four years old to, um, <laughs> you, know, you know, different characters in books and, um, and movies. And eventually as I became older, um, mythology and I've always been drawn to women artists um, in a strong way, you know, Bjork, Ani DeFranco, Janis Joplin. Those were the women who were inspiring me in my teenage years. Um, you know, women who were just doing what they wanted to do <laughs> and being free and, and being in their power, being in their divine power rather than looking for one outside of themselves. And, um, so I, that's probably what guided me in my formative years um, has just been my attraction to women, to powerful, creative women. Um, and that allows me to access that power and divinity within myself mm. in that reflection. And so, I, you know, <laughs> that might not be, I don't know. That's what I have to say about that. Oh, I, I love it. I was going to say, this is the first time anybody's brought up She-Ra on the show. And I loved <laughs> She-Ra so much as a kid too. That's so funny. And of course, She-Ra belongs on a show about the sacred feminine, as does Janis Joplin and Ani DeFranco, who are two both amazing artists and were really influential to me too. Right. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about that, that um, I, I don't think I'd, I'd connected those dots in my own life of like, you know, experiencing the sacred feminine energy in these powerful 
women that I was really drawn to. I was really drawn to Alanis Morissette to that album, Jagged Little Pill was like, whoa. Yeah, we all felt that. Yeah. Like, who is this woman? She is incredible. Yeah. 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 Totally. Um, What a wonderful expression. So for me, that was my introduction to the divine feminine. That was my introduction to women in their power, women having power, women being capable of creating something that is meaningful and powerful and will affect others you know um yeah that's where my that's my muse that's my inspiration (laughs) i love it and i'm i'm wondering if there was a point when you know that light bulb went off or there was the connection that was made between these powerful women and the 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 concept of the sacred feminine, however you might describe that, you might use different words, but if there was a point where you were like, aha, I see how this weaves together the divinity of women and the power of women that I'm seeing in these performers. I'd really have to say that it started when I became a mother. Um, I became a mother pretty young. I was 20 years old when I had my first child and up until that point, I had, like I, like I shared the previous question, I didn't really have a strong spiritual upbringing, but I did have a calling. I had something that called to me uh, consistently, and it really came alive, really came to life, and I embodied that wisdom when I gave birth. Um, and... I feel like it just grew from there. Um, you know, when we embody things and we, and we dive into things, then our life becomes full of more of that thing. Mm-hmm. And so being around other women, being around other mothers, um, and then watching our children grow. I mean, for me, that is divinity, um, that deep relationship. So a lot of the lessons were, were simple um, and hard to put into a moment, but it was a many, many moments that built upon themselves. And in that circle of women, I discovered um, so many creative, wise, powerful other women. And we all had a lot of things to share. So that's when I started finding, um, you know, authors and uh, writing about some of these things and women creating art about these things and a lot of us talking about goddess energy you know goddess energy became really important thing to talk about um when you're a young young person trying to figure out where you are in the world and what your sense of spirituality is and um, you know mine just never really fit in with like I said, the Abrahamic religions that were handed to me and never, never really quite fit in with atheism, um, you know, agnosticism. I kind of wavered in there a little bit. And I still say to a large degree, I do have an agnostic approach to the way that I am in the world. But when magic happens, I refer to it as, as she, you know, that's uh, because that's what works for me because I am a woman and I want to see my own reflection. I think that's the the human drive is to see our own reflection in 
spirituality so we can find a place where our life has meaning. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think is important about bringing the divine feminine or the goddess or just even ideas and discussions around those topics is so important. Um, so that women have a starting place to, to see their own possibilities, their own power, which is it's more necessary than ever, um, especially for many of us who I um, tend to correlate the divine feminine with not only women and their spiritual power, but also the planet that we live on, the earth that we live on. There's a conflation of the earth's body and our bodies. Yeah. And so, um, I think it's also through that, through my deep love of nature. I lived in Hawaii for 12 years. I was blessed <laughs> to be in some of the most rich, incredible earth um, that's alive, <laughs> growing itself while you're there on the big island of Hawaii with the lava. You know, um, nature is very alive there. And so are the people of that community. Um, and so that was also part of, I think, how goddess energy came into my life was um, living in Hawaii, where Hawaiian people live, the, the Hawaiian people of Hawaii, not just people who live in the state of Hawaii. And, you know, Hawaiian culture is so rich. It's so beautiful. And every single Hawaiian person knows who Pele is. Mm. <laughs> they know Aliyahu is. These are living entities that everyone is in relationship with. And so that, that really gives uh, the most incredible beauty and richness to the Hawaiian culture. I feel so blessed to have spent, spent time soaking that up and, um, and listening. And so that also has deepened my, um, my desire to see more goddess energy in the world uh, because I feel that when we get a balance of that, we can, we can respect that power, respect that life and have a real reciprocity with the planet that we live on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think sometimes of, well, my entry point, there were a few motherhood was one for me, for sure. Um, into really understanding the sacred feminine, but one of the other was uh, I just I had gotten on a kick about reading uh, about indigenous wisdom, and so just I was I was really for a while was reading a lot about South American shamanism and those practices, and having spent the last however many years now really trying to understand the sacred feminine at this deeper level, I feel like there's such a connection between the sacred feminine and indigenous wisdom because it is you know it I don't want to generalize because I don't know everything about everything by a long shot but the but the you know indigenous wisdom that I have come into contact with there's always seems to be this deep reverence for the earth and the understanding of the earth as our mother and you know in some ways I think of it as as me trying to um, become indigenous again myself, you know, and trying to figure out what that looks like to have this European heritage that I have, where it's, you know, been totally stamped out by um, Christianity and and whatnot, you know, over however many thousands of years, but to try and get back to that point, because I think at some, 
in some ways we're we're all indigenous you know and this wisdom is our birthright yeah oh i feel you i feel you very strongly on that and you know that was really another launching point for me um when you bring up you know this european culture and the divine feminine and trying to find some sense of right relationship with the land that we live on and a way of being you know for as long as i can remember you could ask my mom when i was six years old it was so i would go to the library all the time i always wanted to be at the library and i was always over in the section about witches and i <laughs> reading everything i could not just spell books and astrology but i wanted to know about these women and why they were burned this um this witch trope that everyone fell into and just easily took on as a Halloween story didn't take like that for me at all. <laughs> it didn't take like that for me at all, which is were never scary to me. Um, I wanted to know why they were being burned. That was scary to me. Mm. Uh, this idea, this mob, this idea that there could be a mob mentality where, um, you know, women, men, people could spread rumors and and then <laughs> a woman could just be put on a pyre um that was huge for me and i feel like has also driven me not just in um when we were talking about you know what was our starting point with the divine feminine this was my starting point with why the suppression of women why the why the attack on them? What is that? What is that about? Um, that's been a driving point for me as well in all of the work that I do is that question. Why? Mm. <laughs> and I want to ask you, I'm like, yes. And <laughs> why? Tell me why. I want to know why. <laughs> <laughs> As if we all have the uh, a perfect answer, which we don't, but yeah. We, we don't have a perfect answer, but that question has driven me to so many of the sources that have built, um, you know, the, I, all of, that's what these voices are, are asking on the page. You know, um, the idea of she is to unite in one voice the many, many, many experiences of many different levels of women. And so with that comes a lot of women speaking up and speaking their hearts and speaking their truths. That's what art is. And so in women's art, we find victims of domestic violence. We find women who were denied their power by their parents, by their teachers, by society. We find women who are trying to learn how to love their bodies again because they were taught to hate them. We've got women learning how to embrace aging again, learn to embrace coming into their wise woman, coming into their crone, instead of feeling used up and disposable and tossed out by society that worships young women, that worships the woman who can be molded um you know these are the voices that are all coming up here uh birth women mothers <laughs> mothers have a lot to say <laughs> about the way the society um just isn't designed to support us in in these mainstream cultures so 
my question of why leads to all these women trying to explain their different perspectives on why and how and what next. Um, and that's really all I've ever been trying to do with, uh, with both the live performance and the social media site is just give an amplification to those voices um, that I just searched for. I had to search so hard to find them in my life. And it's like a giant mixtape for me. It's like I'm still in the 90s, just recording all my favorite songs to give my best friend, except I'm, you know, finding an excerpt from this book and this incredible piece of art and these three women in the woods somewhere singing a song and just bring it into one place where we can come and uh, be nourished by it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, oh, I love that. I love the mixtape analogy too. That, that <laughs> takes me right back. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it does. But I, I'm thinking back to what I said in the intro about social media. You know, we can really get down on it and like, wow, this is fluffy, blah, 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 blah. But um, I think you're right. I think even in the last, I don't know, several years, it's become much more easy to connect to these stories of women, their history, their power, the, the story of the sacred feminine. And I, I, I feel like I have to give credit where credit is due. Certainly, you know, um, this digital world and this social media in particular has made it much easier to connect and, and find that wisdom. So I know for me, I had a really hard time locating it too. And it wasn't that long ago, but even then I hadn't, I, I I don't even think that groups and pages were that big of a thing when I was looking for stuff. So I would not have even thought to go to Facebook even, right. I don't know, six years ago. It was very different. Things have really changed in the social media world so quickly. Um, I agree with you. It's been hard to find different sources, um, but it's, it's gotten so much easier now. Um, yeah. Hopefully we maintain the ability to keep sharing all of our, all of our work online. Um, I know it's been a lifeline for so many. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially now too, right. With all this um, social distancing and whatnot, needing to keep our space and limit our outside activity. Yeah. Um, well, I'd love to, since you referenced the, you know, we're on the topic of social media. I'd, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about she and how, uh, you know, the origins of it and, and how this has grown into what it is now. Okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> like I said, I lived in Hawaii for over a decade, and um, it's where I was raising my children. And, you know, I, as a musician, at one point, I started playing with other musicians, and then, you know, we wanted to play it at, at events and make a little bit of money and entertain everyone. So, I kind of um, found myself in the music business without really planning to go there. Um, but as the front leader of the band, I did end up having to be the one who negotiated, you know, uh, payment and, and events. And I also found myself as a mother with young children in a uh, place with a lot of other mothers with young children. And we were all very creative. And, you know, it was really... Um, quite the challenge as any as any any woman who's worked in the music business will tell you it's it's just full of uh, it's male dominated and it's uh, capitalist driven and it, that's not the best framework 
for someone who is receiving gifts that they want to share with the world. Um, and and when, when, you're, when you're an artist or a musician who is receiving gifts that you want to share with the world, you know, male or female, that system is not the best one to be in. And so there was that um, I found very challenging. And then there was also the misogyny within it, you know, of um, just arrogance mostly, you know, constantly being told how to set up my own equipment and, you know, just little, little microaggressions here and there. Um, not to mention the way that women are commonly expected to look and perform when they want to bring their music into places that want entertainment. And, um, and so part of my path was realizing that I didn't want to be entertainment. And I, I was always playing with male musicians. And then I would go back home and be hanging out with the moms and the kids. And we would all just be singing together, singing all sorts of songs, playing hand drums. And it was a really different feeling. And both of them were good. I loved making music in both levels. But I just, I'd always ask my, my girlfriends, you know, hey, do you want to come open for me at this event? Or, um, you know, hey, maybe you should come to my show and, and come in on this song. And there was a lot of resistance. And it really wasn't lost on me why that is. You know, uh, a lot of these women were mothers, first of all. They didn't have time to come out into a bar and entertain their community for no money. And they also didn't want to bring things that felt vulnerable to a place that wasn't designed for vulnerability, like a bar or mm. a festival that, you know, most festivals. Um, so I was, I was just driving around with one of my best friends one day and, um, and the vision just came on me. It came on me like a song comes to me. It came like when I'm giving a tarot reading and I just have a knowing and it's just there. And I, I was like, all right, we're going to do this event. We're going to get me and you, and we're going to go ask these other seven women that we know. And we're, we're each going to do our own thing for three or four things. And then we'll collaborate on some acts and then we're going to set it up in this format and it's going to be awesome. <laughs> and, um, I got the support that I needed as soon as I brought this idea to the women in my community. They all just jumped in. They were like, yes, please, let's do this. So There's tons of support there and, um, and a lot of hard work. And so the basic idea was to combine poets, artists, musicians, dancers, storytellers, young girls in our community, elder women in our community, the voices of the mothers, the voices of the non-mothers, and have them all here and speak together individually and as one all at the same time. And we did it within a framework of honoring the elements and honoring the planet that we live on as well um, in the theatrics of the way the show happened. And, you know, the very first time we did it, uh, we sold out. We sold out the first night, so on the fly, we said, all right, let's just do a second night, and we sold out for that, too, and really just felt so much love from our community. It was, um, it was different. It was different than playing at the bar, playing at the festival. Everyone came in and turned off their phones and sat down, and we, 
we honored and celebrated the voices of these women and our community was so thirsty for it. They loved it, they soaked it up and the women felt honored and they felt seen. And so the, the events were incredible. And after selling out two nights in a row um, and getting so much feedback from my community, both, both sides were being nourished by this. Um, the women were feeling seen, they were feeling celebrated, they were feeling respected and honored in their communities, which is vital and rare. And the community itself, the men, the women, the children, they were thirsty for it and they drank it up. The children loved seeing their mothers up there. <laughs> they loved it. And the men, um, many men came to me and just said, thank you. Thank you. They, they felt it was medicine for them. And of course, all of the women also loved it who came as audience um, because they were having that same experience we spoke to earlier of seeing a woman embody her power and her creativity and then share it that is going to inspire and move the next woman to do that as well. So that was a, a really beautiful thing to see come out of the show and these uh, years later, you know, women who met from these events going on to start other projects together or continue to create together. Uh, those were beautiful things. So we decided to make it an annual thing. Um, it was a lot of work. I was organizing from between seven to 20 women for really big events that took quite a bit of production effort from audio to camera work and no budget. <laughs> we were all broke single moms, you know, just not all of us, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I have an amazing husband who supported me through this and including financially in some ways. So that was a blessing. But for the most part, we, we were working with scraps to put these things together and um, just our will to make it happen. And that was very empowering as well. Um, really great to be able to take an idea and bring it into life. You know, it's all part of that creatrix energy. So we did it six years in a row. Um, sold out every time, became a bigger event every time. Uh, more and more women participating in it. It was really wonderful. And, uh, but I had personal life things that had to happen and I did need to move. Um, so I had to leave Hawaii and I, I had intentions for it to continue running there, but it wasn't possible to make it happen. And uh, I've had ideas about starting it again, um, even from where I'm at, but I've just had a lot going on in my life and it didn't come together in the same way. So after a few years of not doing really very much with she, um, I went to the most incredible visual seminar with Max Deschoux of the Suppressed Histories Archives. Yeah. And she spent six hours, <laughs> probably six or seven hours, just showing us images of women in history and art of the divine feminine. And she had so much wisdom and knowledge about the most simple things like the symbology of 
of a mirror <laughs> or the symbology of, um, you know, spinning wheels. It was really, really rich and um, very moving to me. And it was right around that same time that I had read the book, The Alphabet Versus the Goddess by Leonard Schlein, where he talks about image and word. And he also talks a lot about the dynamics of men and women and male and female and patriarchy and matriarchy and God worshiping culture versus goddess worshiping cultures. No, I hate the word versus really, but that's what we're gonna say. And um, he talks a lot about all of these things and he's a neuroscientist. And what I overall got from his book, um, was the power of means is incredible. <laughs> That's actually what I took from the book was that when you combine an image with simple words in a way that's really digestible in the age of social media where everyone is already getting inundated with messages from advertisers and think tanks and whatever the algorithms have decided they should see, I felt like, like I first received the, the vision for the she event. I just knew, okay, this is what I have to do. I have to create something, something to offer in this way. I was already spending way too much time on social media and <laughs> uh, really wanting to cut that down. I had watched a video about how to curate your own uh, Facebook feed so that you're seeing more of the things that inspire you and less of the things that you aren't finding beneficial in your life. And I realized that I could just participate in that way, that if I was going to just go to my phone in moments of boredom, then instead of scrolling Facebook, I should create something to share um, and bring that energy of giving because that's that's just part of what I do. <laughs> and um, so I made a vow to do it every day for one year. And um, two weeks after that, it went viral. My, I, I had, I had, that page had 500 likes on it that were just, you know, people who had supported the she events in Hawaii, mostly Hawaii-based people and family of the performers. And it went from 500 to 5,000 in like one night from one post. Um, and it was a powerful post. It was an image by the artist Lily Hill of a big, beautiful, voluptuous, naked woman. And her hair is like flowing behind her head. And it's a side profile of her. And she just looks beautiful it is an image of a very large woman that is very beautiful that's how i saw it and then i combined that image with this incredible quote from naomi wolf a culture fixated on female thinness is not an obsession about female beauty but an obsession about female obedience and i just thought it was a really great line and this was a wonderful image of a beautiful woman and I thought they reflected each other well so I, I sent it off into the internet and uh, and it took that was a very powerful message and um, from that day forward I feel like women just have been flocking to the page it just goes up and up and up 
um, and uh, it's been over a year now and I continue to post a minimum of one post a day. Um, I can't commit to more than that because it's a labor of love. Um, but I feel, you know, people do all sorts of things. They have all sorts of practices. And for me, it's, I guess, a part of my practice now to just set aside a little time every day to put together something that uh, I think women are going to find meaningful. And at the same time, I get to amplify women artists who are always in need of more advertising. They're always in need of more amplification. Um, so that's been a simple practice that I've been doing. But yes, it has really grown. And uh, yeah, like you said, now there's 77,000 followers. I get messages all the time on comments in my, and messages in my inbox. And I cannot even respond. I, <laughs> there's too many, but I. I read them and I, my heart is so filled with the women who um, just really appreciate what's being shared. And um, I'm, I'm really grateful for being able to participate in that. Mm. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about the, the response um, and if it's been overwhelmingly um, positive or, uh, you know, I also, would imagine that you get to a certain size like that and you start to attract, you know, the, the inevitable trolls or the detractors as well. But yeah. Well, I've been pretty lucky. Um, I gotta say on that first post, the one that I quoted with Naomi Wolf and Lily Hills art, I did get a lot of trolls on that. It was, um, it was a big one. And I'm actually quite, averse to social media conflict. It's not my thing. Um, you know, I'd prefer to talk in person with people who I have disagreements with. <laughs> uh, so I just don't generally go there, but I found myself taking a bit of a stand and, and using some harsh, harsh energy and language in one of the comments to just let people know that I wasn't going to tolerate um, hating on women on the page. And, you know, that in particularly uh, questions, uh, particularly really hurtful things being said about women's bodies. Uh, it was just unnecessary. And, and I'm not gonna have people coming on and insulting the women who are finding community on that page. So, you know, I did a bunch of blocking and banning <laughs> and really regulated that post. But to be honest, other than that post, there really hasn't been anything but gratitude. Um, a few like spam things show up that I have to deal with. That's yeah. really what you have to look for when you get to be a page this size is uh, all the people who are trying to spam you and fish you. <laughs> um, so I've been really blessed. Uh, the women talk to each other. Everybody doesn't always agree all the time, but it's so important to be able to talk about all these things and learn from each other and grow. And I've the audience who has come are the ones who are meant to be there, you know. Um, so I've been really happy about that. It's been overwhelmingly loving and supportive. Um, mm. And just a lot of women telling me that, I had a woman message me once and tell me that she left her abusive partner <laughs> because of a post that I'd, I'd shared. Wow. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm getting all weepy. That was really meaningful to me. Um, yeah, that was, that's the kind of 
affirmation and validation that tells me I'm, I'm doing something important. So. Oh yeah, you absolutely are. And that's also the thing that, you know, I think is so magical about the way I experience the sacred feminine is that we don't really have to know, um, why we're doing what we're doing or, you know, it just has to come from the heart, like what you're doing and sharing. And then, you know, you get to wash your hands after that. Like it lands where it's going to land. And occasionally you get that beautiful moment of like somebody reflecting that back to you of like, Oh, okay, well, this is why I felt inspired to do this today because it reached somebody in this way, but it's, it, it all feels, uh, at least for me anyway, orchestrated at a higher level, which is really beautiful to be in service in that way. I like being used in that way. Me too. Me too. And, you know, like I said, I do read tarot and in some ways I see it like that too. You know, it's image and words. It's coming as a divine message for many people um, in this strange digital world that we find ourselves in. There is power still wielded in that. Um, and so it's really important for us to pay attention to what we're consuming and, and also what we're sharing so that, um, understanding that helps me just put a lot of intention and into what's what's going out there um, and hoping it just lands with the people who need to hear it in that moment yeah and I, I i might have shared this with you before we you know we've obviously we had a little chat before we hopped on the, the podcast but um to record this but i had a guest on um I don't know, a few moons ago, Letty Sullivan is her name. She's a priestess in the 13 moon lineage, and she's doing some really beautiful work around the divine feminine and social justice. Um, really inspiring. But we, I participated in a ritual that she did, and, and one of her guests that she had on was talking about gaming the social media system. So not just... Um, you know, so there's the, there's the, what you, there's what you talked about of like making sure you're getting the stuff that you want, you know, that you're, um, that you're not seeing stuff that doesn't feed your soul, but also in the way, like what you're doing, you know, you, you by you're gaming the system by putting certain things out there as well, which, you know, manipulates the algorithm and eventually, you know, can, can, I think, subvert the system to a more beautiful and just place. That's what I hope for. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. It's just like putting a little bit more of it out there every day, you know, um, you know, it's a little cliche, but you know, being the change you want to see. Yeah, just, you know, absolutely. What I want to see. So it's what I'm going to share. And, you know, for me that that's a big deal in my whole life, um, that energy of reciprocity. And so I see that as part of part of everything that I do. Mm hmm. Well, and I guess, I think we're sort of talking about this already, but um, I'm curious from your perspective. So if we, we take that idea of being the change and putting out what we want to see, um, and we put that through the lens of, of where we are culturally right now, which is, you know, fair, a fairly, I mean, I think a lot of people would agree this is, especially if you are in the United States, it's a pretty intense time to be alive here and I could name half a dozen reasons why that's true <laughs> uh, you know um or more and so I, I'm wondering what this this amplification of the feminine voice energy power how you think that is benefiting us in this particular moment of time or how this can benefit us well I think it comes back to um what I was saying earlier about when 
when we see the embodiment of female power, creativity, divinity, wisdom, experience, when we see those things displayed to us, then it, it helps those who need to embody it to get closer to embodying it. Um, and I mean, I think that's what we really need in this time. <laughs> uh, in general, you know, um, I don't really want to jump too much into politics or, or specifics, uh, to be honest, but, you know, we still live in a patriarchal system. Uh, the majority of the people running things are still male. The majority of religions that are taken seriously or even mentioned are the Abrahamic patriarchal religions. We still follow ancestry based on the patrilineal line rather than the matrilineal line. There's a, a variety of ways in which we're all still, everyone, all people are still living under patriarchy together and it's not benefiting anybody. <laughs> it's not benefiting our sons or daughters. It's not benefiting anybody. Um, so whatever is going to um, awaken both the reverence of the sacred feminine and the embodiment of that in anyone and in the way that we relate to where we live. I mean, that's my, my deep desire. That's what I, where I see the imbalance from my perspective, the imbalance that is creating <laughs> so much of what we're, we're dealing with. Um, I like to try and find the root of that. I'd like to find the root of that. And I think that it, it goes back to, to a lot of this, um, this disposable way that we treat women. And um, I, I aim to just give a different vision, just put a different vision out there. And anyone who wants to, to latch onto that and allow that to inspire or embody them um, into whatever it is that is their creative gift, their, their active service, you know, may it be may it come to life that's mm. behind all of that mm. oh, i love that and I, I i really love that you brought it into the embodiment you know the embodiment of that sacredness or that divinity so i think that's such a huge part of it you know I, I i think us thinking we need to have the answers and that we know like oh this is the outcome that we want that's that is patriarchal in and of itself as if we could possibly know you know we are um right we're we're all we're all co-creating this experience that we're having as individuals and then like is our interaction with the larger um you know planetary systems and energies and all that but in a very concrete way with all of the you know billions of people that we are you know we're co-creating this thing that is happening around us and so um i just love the idea of if we are co-creating that from a place of embodying our own divinity. Mm -hmm. Who knows what it's going to look like, but like I'm on board to find out, right? Like I don't actually need to know. I just can feel in my body that that would be something beautiful and powerful and very different than what we have right now. Right, right. <laughs> and I feel like it just comes with the territory that when you Im 
when you can recognize your own being as sacred, yeah. it's not that long, hopefully, <laughs> or maybe it's, you know, generally comes with it that you recognize that the things that sustain you are sacred, you know, and, and this is what's really, um, I feel like, so important to the whole world is is understanding that the things that sustain us are the things that are sacred mm. this is water it's our rivers and our oceans this is the earth that we live on uh, you know it's the air we breathe <laughs> these are the things that are sacred these are the things that deserve our protection and our respect and you know um, and when you find your the divinity within yourself, I think it comes to the territory to find that divinity within those things as well. And you know, hopefully that's the shift. That's that's the shift, right? When we can question when we're inventing something like, okay, well, is this beautiful? Yes. Is it sustainable though? Or is it is it needed? Is it worth the energy that is exerted into creating it you know mm -hmm. more life or is it going you know to shift that whole uh, we can make right decisions about what we do as humans mm -hmm. you know, embody that um, understanding of what is sacred is what cannot be exploited yeah it feels like a it's funny, I was going to say, it feels like a Herculean, look at me using patriarchal language, Hercules. It feels like a Herculean task to sort of reorient ourselves in that way, because even you, you've named the Abrahamic faiths a couple of times. And um, you know, it, I mean, the creation myth of Genesis is, uh, it's, it is, it, you, you, man, shall have dominion over earth and all living things right. at your disposal. So it's a story of, you know, and it's a single man. It's not a community. It's, it's a man. So it's, it's, it's not only it's like human domination, but individual, like conquering. The story of the individual is more important than anything else. And so it, maybe Herculean is not the word I want to use. I, I would use maybe more feminine word for me. It feels like a great unraveling of a tapestry or something that we've woven that we must take apart to learn how to be in this different way. I feel that. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um. Well, you know, one other thing I was going to say too, um, and yet here we are in the reason, so the, you know, it's endlessly fascinating. We could, we could have this conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for hours. Um, but, you know, even in the great unraveling, we cannot, you know, if that's what needs to happen, that's, that's wonderful. And yet we cannot deny that you and I wouldn't have even found each other had it not been for um, <laughs> these creations, you know, like social media and uh, technology, which probably, you know, the, the creators, the, you know, the instigators of, of, the, of what we have now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say we're not thinking about the greater impact to the environment and, and whatnot. Um, so it's sort of a, it's sort of a, again, here's a patriarchal metaphor, a double-edged sword, but uh, it's, uh, isn't it amazing how it just infiltrates all of our language, even infiltrate. Did you hear that? It's incredible. Um, <laughs> yeah. Wow. But you know, it's, 
yeah, but it's sort of interesting how uh, it's both and. I guess that's a different way I could say it. Right. Yeah. So you're an artist in all these different and wonderful ways, and some of them lend themselves to podcasts more than others. <laughs> Anything visual is probably not going to work here, but um, I, I wanted to give you space if there was anything that you might like to, to share with us um, here as part of your own creation, especially as we're talking about this importance of celebrating the female voices and female power. Yeah, sure. I would love to. Thank you so much. Um, well, I did write a poem recently. I'm working on a book of poetry right now, um, which is really exciting. I actually can't even believe I haven't put one together before now, but I was so deeply into the musical world and creating events that I just uh, don't think I found the time for it. So I'm now putting together a book of poetry and uh, I just recently wrote this poem and um, shared it online and I thought it would be fun to read it aloud <laughs> so um, yeah, I'll share a piece of poetry with you. It's called Mother Bears. Mm. And, uh, a mother bear doesn't mind her manners when her cubs are in danger. She uses the primal language of her body to claim her territory and defend her sacred. It is her deepest maternal instinct that compels her ferocity when man gets too close. She does not cry. She does not await rescue. She does not sign petitions. She does not pray for peace. She charges. Mm. Wow. That feels particularly potent for this <laughs> moment in time too. Yeah, yeah, it's a metaphor that has, um, been stirring around in me for years and I just felt I need to bring it to a piece of writing and mm -hmm. so that <laughs> it's beautiful yeah I also wanted to make sure I ask you um, about this new project that you know I referenced in the your your uh, your bio, Cunning and Keening. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. I love the name, by the way. Super. Um, I'm really excited about it. Um, you know, as we've talked about on this podcast so far, so, so far already, um, you know, I already have been doing music, you know, throughout my life and uh, I write poetry and I do Fiverr art and I read tarot, kind of have a lot of hats. <laughs> um, but I've never really happy in the music business, you know, if, if that's what we can call it. It's not, just not the path for me, never really has been the path for me, like I said. Um, and that's why I had created She, you know, create my own platform, um, creating platforms for all of us. I kind of have that style about me a little bit. <laughs> and so, I wanted to be able to approach my music in a way that felt authentic and embraced the other parts of me as well. So Cunning and Keening um, is the space where I hold all of that. Cunning is this old word that uh, I read a few times. It, it's something about it called to me. So I started researching the etymology of the word cunning 
And I learned that it's, it's one of the few words that has really had uh, almost a total change in its meaning from its origins to what it's currently defined as. And I think that in modern culture, a lot of us associate the word cunning with a cunning fox, you know, sly and manipulative, a little sneaky, a bit of a charlatan. <laughs> we have this energy around the word cunning. But when you look to the etymology of the word cunning, it, um, it basically means to know, um, to have skill of, to, uh, to know. And then it's also related to the word ken from Middle English, uh, which is associated with the definition of that is kind of like to beget, to create, um, even, to, even to gestate. Um, so there's a creation energy combined with a knowing energy with the word cunning. And in the 13th century, which is when that definition is from, Around that time in the world, cunning folk in Europe were the healers and the diviners. Uh, when you were sick, you called for the cunning woman or the cunning man. You know, um, they lived in the woods and they knew how to use the plants. <laughs> and, you know, a, a lot of the divinatory and spiritual folk arts were what were uh, shared by the cunning folk. And so this change to the word cunning happened between the 14th and the 17th century and when you think about that time of history in Europe and particularly in the British Isles this was when um, they were burning women yeah. this is when uh, women were not being trusted anymore the wise women we're now being considered witches and threats and dangerous. And so the whole meaning of the word cunning changed over those three centuries. And so, um, but I really like the word cunning and it feels like what I do. Like when I explained to you that, you know, both times that I got a vision of what to do with she, it just came to me. Um, I call that cunning when I, when I pull a tarot card and I know exactly what it means, <laughs> it's, it's this deep knowing that comes through my body. Um, and it's the same way that I catch songs. I used to, when I was a teenager, I almost didn't even want to claim the songs. I was like, they just come to me. I don't even write them. Um, you know, I'm older now and I, I do have a big say in the editing process of my songs <laughs> as a human. But, you know, they, they come to me pretty whole most of the time. And so that's sort of where the word cunning and me um, have met each other. And then keening um, is another word that just really piqued my interest. Um, it made me want to investigate it. And as I delved into keening, not just the word, but the history of it, you know, the word keening is to wail, to lament, um, usually over, over death. And again, this is a word that comes out of Northern Europe um, area for the most part. And the women, I, I can't remember where I read this, but when I was reading up on Keening, you know, it used to be a common thing in, in towns and villages when someone passed, when someone died 
for the grandmothers to come out and lead the keening and, um, and just open their voices and wail and grieve that which they love, that which was sacred to them, that they're, and it gives permission to the whole rest of the community to allow their feelings of grief and loss to move through them and be released. And it's a sign of respect to the thing that you have lost of how much you have loved it. So keening is a very important word for me as well. Um, Cause I feel like a lot of my poetry and my songs embody a sadness. Um, it is more common for me to make people cry when I sing than make them dance. It's just the way. <laughs> And for years, I tried to find a genre that I fit into, and it never worked. I couldn't find one, you know, that sounded right. But keening, it's not the only thing I do. I wouldn't say that all of my songs are wailing and sad, but there is an element of grief to a lot of my work. I, I work through my healing when I create. Um, yeah. And so that's, when I put it all together in my tarot and my poetry and the songs and the music that I make and the art that I create, it's just this cunning and keening energy where I'm, I'm pulling in and I'm lifting up and there's a circle of reciprocity happening. And I felt that those words really embodied it. So I decided to, uh, to start a new project that I felt would really help me find a balance in my life and in all of the things that I like to do in a way that was authentic to me, um, which, you know, isn't the glitzy world of show business. You know, I, I don't really wear makeup. <laughs> I'm not going to do a dance while I sing my song, right? So I, I felt like I needed to create my own platform. <laughs> like I said, that's what I do. <laughs> and. Um, so that's the energy that I'm going to hold there on my new website that is going to be launching the same day, I think, as this podcast is going to be airing on the full moon. Um, yes, uh, October 1st. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So on the same day as this podcast, my website will be live, cunningandkeening.com. And that's where I'll be offering poetry, music, tarot readings, fiber art, um, I think I'm going to start writing. Uh, so there'll be a bit of a blog there because sometimes I have things to say that aren't just poems. And uh, it's really exciting for me to be able to open myself up in that way to the world. Um, I haven't had a website. <laughs> I've had different social medias, but I'm finally just putting it all in one place and it looks beautiful and I'm really excited about it. Oh, I love it. Well, and I'll make sure to include a link in the show notes too. Um, I just, I love the name Cunning and Keening. I just, you know, the, the idea of the reclamation of these two words that have great power or had great power for women that have kind of been taken away. And I, I also need to say too that, um, and maybe you came across this, but I was just reading recently that the, 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 about the origins of the word kin. Uh, I did see that. Yeah, which actually, you know, come from the word cunt. And that word cunt actually comes from a, a very old goddess uh, whose name I don't have in front of me right now. It's an Asian goddess. And I, I, I believe it might have been Kundi. But uh, the words kin and country all traps back to this idea of um, 
the goddess and the goddess's body, you know, vulva, which is really like the portal of creation. So to take it full <laughs> circle, that just feels like about as perfect as you can get. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing how sometimes just something as simple as an old definition of a word can bring such a deep feeling within oneself. Um, but their place in life and their sense of uh, divinity and connection to the, the whole world. And words are so very powerful, aren't they? They are. I know. I was just reflecting that that's been a major theme of our conversation. I don't know that I knew that that would happen, but it, yeah, absolutely. They yeah, really, yeah, really are. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> well, well, I also want to mention too, um, so Iris is, I'm going to see if I can pull it off. So it, if I can, you'll hear it at the end of the show. Um, Iris has made available uh, her first album. So I, I'm going to play a song for you guys at the end of this uh, as well. So you can hear some of her music too. And I'll make sure that I've got links to the website and, and she and all of that, you know, in the show notes as well. Um, but I, I just, I want to thank you uh, really from the bottom of my heart for joining me today. I, I love this conversation and um, yeah, thank you for being here and, and for all that you're doing and your work in the world. What a great gift, really. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really my honor to do what I do. And um, it's my honor to be on your show. I've also been admiring your work and was in your group before I even knew who you were <laughs> because I was drawn to what was going on over there as well. And um, yeah, I'm really thankful to have had this conversation. It's been really fun. No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, maybe they'll be around too. Who knows, right? <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And thank of all of you guys for joining me today, as always. And uh, hey, if you like the show, you can subscribe to it. You can give it a five-star review on iTunes. You can tell your friends about it. You can do all of those things. And uh, thanks for listening. And until next time, I'll talk to you again soon. Everywhere I've been is all here in my heart. My heart is like a bullseye just taking the dart. Shot one, shot two, shot three. Like a human I cry, but like an animal I bleed. Like the moon I glow, like a stone I roll. Like fire I burn, like lava I flow and I breathe. The same air that my enemies breathe I receive. The same light my ancestors received I give. The same love that's been given to me. The language of love is the language of the trees. And love is taught like lessons and blessings. The learning is half knowing and half guessing. And it's strange, yeah, but interesting it. Every kind of love is a cosmic testing And all of our actions are spiritual Every single moment is a miracle Maybe I speak too soon Maybe I love too deep All I know is these moments are not ours to keep So hold on, let go These moments are not ours But they're all we have Hold on, let go Take time by the hand and lead it safely home. Hold on, let go.
you gotta make like a cat To be a lion heart You learn to love like that And put your courage on Your courage to heal Your courage to love And your courage to feel And be real in this relative reality Cause so far no one has transcended their mortality And every day we got is one day more To love and to discover what we came here for We can open our minds Open our hearts, but the cerebrum can only be open so far. Yes, the mind is a map to a puzzle never solved, and the heart is the key to how love evolves. Pumping blood through my veins, release, contract. Can I learn to move the muscles of my love like that? Hold on, let go. These moments are not ours, but they're all. 